guys welcome back to but what's next with me michelle reed thank you guys so much for tuning in it's like a super gloomy day while i'm recording this and i feel super cozy with my little candle lit just chilling in my room and i am specifically so grateful that you guys stuck around for this episode because this is an episode that I have talked about wanting to record for a very long time now. For reference on my YouTube channel, if you guys don't know, I'm assuming most people are from YouTube, but I have a YouTube channel. It's just at Michelle Reed. I posted a vlog while I was applying for jobs and I really encouraged my followers to actually try to negotiate their first salaries. And I got a lot of questions on this video of how to actually negotiate how to do it in a polite way, how to actually get what you want, can I even negotiate my first salary, just all these questions around negotiations and I realized that people don't really talk about this very often. I think that money is a very taboo topic in general but specifically asking for a raise or the salary that you want, it can be a topic that's really hard to decipher because no one really talks about it. But when I mentioned it in this video, I really thought to myself, you know, if I ever have a podcast, this would be a great podcast episode to do specifically with my professor who I learned from. So in this video, I talked about how I was taking a class on negotiating and it wasn't just about salaries. It was negotiations and decision making just kind of in your career in general. So whether that be for like a business setting, if you're trying to get certain gains for a company maybe for your personal sense, maybe you're trying to get certain benefits at your job. It was a ton of different things, but it was such an insightful and practical class. And I remember graduating and being like, this is the most applicable class for just going out into your career and really starting. And so I wanted to share with you all the wisdom of my former professor. Her name is Dr. Reeve. She is so smart and so diligent and just a really great teacher, which is why I really wanted to have her on. I talked about in my intro episode how kind of the setting for this podcast is really about showing you guys my mentors and people in my life who I feel like really worked quietly and worked with their hands and kind of built the life that was their form of success and it's based on a verse in first Thessalonians that encourages people to just kind of lead a quiet life and work with their hands and I think it's so special to me having mentors who are not flamboyant about their success but actually just do it and do it well and I think that Dr. Reeve is kind of the epitome of this. She's actually the first person I thought of to have on because I just absolutely loved being in her classes and I think she's really smart and she's also a fellow introvert so I just felt like it was the first time in New York City where I was around someone who was smart and diligent but also the same personality type as me and so I just really appreciated learning from her and I'm so excited for you guys to learn from her as well. As always, I ask for questions on my Instagram. If you guys want to be a part of the Q&A session that's in this, you can just make sure to follow me at Michelle Reed because that is where I ask for questions. At this point that I'm recording this, I do not have a podcast Instagram, but that's definitely something that might come in the future. So we will see. And just for like background, Dr. Reeve, she actually worked in international business. She talks about how she was a French major in college and she kind of goes into her 
early job experience, but she did a lot of consulting work. So that's kind of her background. She worked with a lot of different clients and just knows personality types really well. And if you're someone who is kind of timid, maybe you are applying for jobs right now and you just aren't sure what the process will be like for negotiating your salary, this is the perfect episode for you. So I hope you guys get a lot of wisdom from it and thanks again for listening. So let's just go ahead and get into it. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So we're going to start off with two questions that I ask pretty much everyone who comes on. And the first one is, if you could go back, what is one thing you would tell your 22-year-old self? That is such a good question. A lot of stuff, actually. But Mm -hmm. I think one of the most important things I wish I knew more when I was 22 is the concept of this too shall pass. And I think especially... When you're that age, you have so much change that's happening. You're, you know, usually moving somewhere, ending college, uh, starting a job, starting looking, are you dating? Are you getting married? All of that stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. And it's a time of a lot of angst. And I think just realizing that, yeah, you'll get through it. This too shall pass and it's going to be okay. Yeah. I felt like whenever I graduated, there were so many people who thought that the path that they started on was going to be set in stone, but it's funny because most of the people who come on here, that's always the first thing they say is that everything's so like malleable and mm-hmm. you don't really have to be married to your first choice, whether that be a career, like you're dating, whatever it may be. Um, so I love that. And I think that's really great. And then the second one is what is one skill that you think is important to have when starting your career that no one really talks about? And it can be something that maybe someone has mentioned, but maybe not something that you think of initially whenever you think of career advice. I think for me, it definitely would have been the importance of the soft skills of really establishing relationships. Mm-hmm. And especially in your first job, like I just kind of assumed that all I have to do is come into work and mm-hmm. you know sit in my cube and do the best job that I can. And I really underestimated the importance of the soft skills of building relationships, really learning how to expand your circle of influence, building mm-hmm. allies in work is really important. And very few people talk about that. It's often, I think it's a lot easier to focus on the hard skills of, do you know Excel? Do you know how to do this? And relationships really are what make the world go around. Yeah. And I think that's something I really learned at King's too. And I loved my college education because it was really focused on those soft skills. And just the fact that like you're here today recording this with me, like after I've graduated, (laughs) developing those relationships is so important. And just so much more beneficial for the long term. And I love that. I think that's really good. And I'm really excited to dive into the next questions because I feel like I do not know a lot about your early career. I know about your consulting work, but not where you started. And so I'd love to hear just starting out what you actually studied in college. And um, do you think that your major that you studied in college applies to your industry that you're at today? Well, I was a French major, oh. uh, so that should give hope to everyone <laughs> that your undergrad degree does not define the course of your life. I was a double major, so I also I had a political science major as okay. well. And honestly, I would have to say, oddly, yes. Okay. Uh, both degrees have been very helpful, mainly because they teach you how to think. They teach mm-hmm. you how to read, how to synthesize data, how to express yourself, mm-hmm. especially in writing. And those are skills that I've used in every position. 
Did it lead to my amazing career as an international lawyer? No, <laughs> but uh, definitely has been helpful. And I have been able to help a lot of lost French tourists on the streets of New wow, York. Wow, that is so funny. I had no idea that French was actually your major. I knew you had studied it, mm-hmm. but not that that was actually your major. It's so cool. Um, and then kind of going off that, what was your first job out of college and what made you interested in going into that field? I graduated during a recession. So my first job out of college was working as an administrative assistant at a church denomination, so Mm -hmm. the headquarters of a church. And what made me interested in that job was it was a paycheck. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, I think I applied to over 100 jobs. It was just a really bad time for the job market. And again, you know, French degree doesn't open a whole lot of doors there. But What I learned from that experience is I got into a position and I figured out how to get to a different position that was really of interest to me. And that ended up being in development and marketing. So doing a lot of fundraising. And I think that was a big learning for me because Mm -hmm. we often feel that you get placed in a bucket and that's what you have to do the rest of your life or the rest of your career. Mm. And that first job was really helpful in just reminding me of like, you can actually determine what you want to do and where you want to go. And again, just use the influence that you build at your position. Yeah. And then how long were you at that job? I was there for about three years, three and a half years. Yeah. I think that's really encouraging because I know whenever I graduated, everyone's always talking about, you know, what their job is and the career path that they're going on. And sometimes it's easy to compare yourself if maybe you got a job that isn't your ideal. Um, But it's okay to take those jobs and to kind of use it as a stepping stone to get somewhere. And it's really encouraging. And just because I know right now this is when a lot of people are graduating and they probably are kind of hearing all their friends getting all these really awesome jobs. But, you know, any job you're going to learn good skills in that could be useful. And so I think that's really great. And then kind of going off that as well, was that job the same or different than what you had expected? It was very different in mm-hmm. many ways. I had moved, I grew up on the East Coast. Okay. And right after college, I had moved with a couple of my roommates to the Midwest. And oh. there really was a culture shock for me that I was not expecting mm-hmm. and Uh, Starting from day one, I showed up at the office at 8 a.m., which for New York standards would be shockingly early. Mm -hmm. And for Minnesota standards, everyone had been there since seven. So I was actually the last to arrive. So there were a lot of like little cultural things that were different. And then I think I was surprised just kind of in the, I think the delegation of duties, it was Mm -hmm. very much... Uh, if you are a man, you are an executive. If you are mm-hmm. a woman, you are in a support position. And mm-hmm. I think growing up, uh, you know, close to New York City, that, that was just mm-hmm. a, a little outside of the norm for me. Yeah. And that's interesting because I think that usually people move from the Midwest Absolutely. to the East no, Coast. I was, I was told no one does what I did. So people didn't know what to do with oh me. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that's so funny. And just really, really interesting to hear. And I think that it also goes to show that it's okay to like move around for your first job and that if you can't get something where you're from or maybe you just don't want to get a job where like you went to school and you do want to move that right that is kind of the perfect time to do it because you really can't adapt um and then the next one is what do you think is the best way to find a career that is meant for you and we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier but do you think it's necessary to do jobs that maybe you don't feel called to do before actually finding your passion like do you think that 
it kind of has to be something earned to do what you feel called to do. I get this question a lot, usually mm-hmm. from seniors who are panicking. Yeah. And I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to get it perfectly right the first mm-hmm. time. And I know for me, it took three jobs before I really felt like, all right, this I'm in a position that really aligns with what I feel my calling is. Like I really feel yeah. like I can make a difference. It's for an organization I'm passionate about. But along the way, I had to figure that out. So I was in mm-hmm. a larger organization and wanted some experience in a smaller organization where we did more programming that I would be directly a part of. Mm-hmm. And then I really liked that. And I said, okay, I want to go back mm-hmm. and have that same experience at a national level. And mm-hmm. so I kind of had to figure out like what was most important, what were my values. I think we forget in the career search that values are really important. Uh, yeah. Do you value being uh, having a lot of influence? So maybe a smaller organization is better. Mm-hmm. Or do you want a really solid career path? So maybe a larger organization is mm-hmm. better. There are no right answers. It just depends on what you like the most. And I think we kind of have to figure that out. Mm-hmm. So for me, the best thing I did was not getting the job of my dreams and also figuring it out as far as uh, where I want to go next. I ended up not going to grad school right away, Mm -hmm. which was exceptionally good uh, because I ended up going for an MBA, which is something really different than what I had initially thought I would get. Yeah. I talked about that a little bit in a different episode about how I think sometimes people kind of hop into grad school because they're scared to start working, at least from like my friends whenever we talked. Um, So I think that's really cool that you waited a little bit before getting and then getting an MBA. That's so awesome. And then going into this is kind of the meat of the podcast episode that I really wanted to talk about. And that's on negotiating because that was honestly my favorite class that I took at King's. I just thought it was the most applicable and it kind of opened my eyes to how we interact with people and kind of how that plays out in a business setting and in a personal setting. And so I really appreciated learning in that class. But the first question that I had was, when was the first time you actually negotiated your salary? I don't know if that was your first job, like from the start, or was it something that kind of you learned how to do down the road? I actually did negotiate my first salary at my Mm -hmm. first job. But I don't think I really knew what I was doing. Uh, So I definitely had learned. But basically what happened is I had taken on a lot of additional responsibilities Mm -hmm. and had gotten a new job title, moved offices, and kind of was reflecting of like, wait a minute, I'm doing a lot more than I was hired to do. And I think I should get paid more. And kind Mm -hmm. of just it was more just kind of like an inner belief that I should get paid more because I was doing a lot more. And that's what led to the first time I negotiated. Yeah. Because on Instagram, it was very interesting because I asked for questions and I thought I kind of had an idea of like what the questions would be, but there were so many people who were like, is it okay to negotiate your first salary? And I was like, yes. And maybe it's just because I'd been in your class. I was like, why are these people asking these questions? Like, of course it is. And a lot of them were like, what point is it okay to negotiate? And I'm like, if you feel like you have the basis to, then you should. And I like how you talked in your class, how it's kind of a skill that you need to practice. Like it's like a muscle that you're learning how to um, just build to be stronger. And so kind of going off that, and I also think the day that we're recording this, I think it is International Women's Day. I'm pretty sure today. But the question I have was, why do you think women are less likely to negotiate their salaries? I think there are a lot of different um, 
conceptions people have of this. Some people think it's because they're taking different jobs, mm-hmm. which is they are <laughs> they are, but it's also not completely true that that's the reason why. Um, do you think there are personality differences between men and women that make women less likely? Just kind of your outlook on this question, because I think that was a question that I learned a lot in class. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things to talk about. And mm-hmm. right off the top, I am always hesitant to make gender stereotypes. So yeah. I'm very aware that I'm doing that. Uh, but in general, women are a lot more relational. And our value is, you know, we want to get along. We want to like you. We want you to like us. And because of that, we don't want to come across as being too pushy or too aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I think societally, we're really trained to, you know, if you look around, uh, there's a group of men in a room and one woman and somebody mm-hmm. has to go get coffee. Everyone just automatically swivels and looks at the woman, yeah. uh, assuming that that's the person to go get the coffee. So I think uh, we're, we're taught at a young age that women don't really negotiate, I think, that also can tie in a lot of times with our self-esteem that, mm-hmm. gosh, you're going to give me a job? Oh, my goodness. That's, thank you. <laughs> you know, and it's true. We should be thankful for yeah. jobs. But that devalues the skills that we bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't really until I started doing some research on this that I was really appalled. And I'm like, women, we need to do better. Yeah. And There are, of course, lots of reasons why women are paid less. Women opt out of the workforce to have Mm -hmm. children, care for parents. Those are all great reasons. But if you just take a look at surveys where we're looking at men and women in the exact same position, Mm -hmm. uh, one survey was Carnegie Mellon MBA grads, Mm -hmm. and we saw that the men earned $4,000 more than women Mm -hmm. first job after getting their MBA. It's because 57% of them asked for more money and Mm. only 7% of women did. So even when we're looking at the exact same scenario, retail workers, if you are a male cashier versus female, you're getting 12% more than a female. Uh, So it really is a lot uh, just kind of ingrained societally that men are inherently, we value their work more than women and women don't ask. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was kind of a shift that I had in my mind because going into that class, honestly, I just always thought that the reason why women were making less because they were taking different jobs. And I kind of had that stuck in my mind. But whenever you mentioned the study about negotiating, it was so interesting to me because it almost puts the power into your hands where you're like, well, I can actually do something about this. And we're going to go into how to do that. Um, But how do you think that your personality type as a person affects the way that you negotiate? I liked how in your class we took a lot of different personality tests and it kind of framed the way that you negotiate with other people. And so how do you think that that affects how you negotiate? Well, I am a very high-scoring introvert. So Mm -hmm. my natural tendency is I'm really bad at doing chit-chat, you know, making people Mm -hmm. feel comfortable. Uh, You know, I just want to be able to share what I feel I know in a a comfortable Mm -hmm. environment. And For me in negotiations, I'm not the best at speaking on the fly. I do best Mm -hmm. when I am really well prepared. I have an expectation of where the conversation is going. Mm -hmm. And negotiations aren't anything but those things, right? Negotiations Mm -hmm. can head one way and then instantly change direction. And one of the things that I've had to do to, to 
train myself how to work better on that is really think through like, what do I want to say? And even writing it down of what's the first Mm -hmm. sentence I'm going to say going in, how do I want to control the conversation by setting the stage? Am I going to be really nice? Am I Mm -hmm. going to start with, look at all the amazing things that I've done? And that has helped me better figure out how to try to control, knowing that there are so Mm -hmm. many different variables. But really just the prep. I think extroverts have an advantage in that they just naturally uh, have a lot more words Mm -hmm. and can make people feel more comfortable. But extroverts also tend to overshare. So, Mm -hmm. you know, one of my secret negotiation tactics is silence. Uh, A lot of times extroverts are really uncomfortable with silence. Mm -hmm. I am really happy sitting and staring at you for a minute. (laughs) And uh, that can often force a decision as well. Yeah, I love whenever you mention that in class because for reference, we would do these simulations in our negotiations class. And it was so funny how the extroverts, they could not stand the silence. They just had to fill it with words. And it's so funny because I was like, I'm just because I'm also an introvert. And I would just sit there in silence and they would be so uncomfortable. And you would actually get what you want because they just wanted to be like, okay, yes, you can have it because I'm awkward right now. Um, So I definitely think that's true. Um, And then why do you think it's important for women specifically to practice negotiating? Obviously, males and females alike should practice negotiating. Mm But specifically because most of the audience of this podcast, I'm assuming, are women, why do you think it's important for them to kind of learn how to and kind of train that muscle? Because women in general don't even think about negotiating. Mm -hmm. And a story I told in class, uh, my husband was staying at a hotel one time and he went to brush his teeth and picked up the glass that was in the bathroom and it had a chip in it. And so he marched down to the front desk, showed them that chip and said, you know, I could have injured myself on this. And, you know, this could have been a lawsuit. And he got a free hotel room. And I think I know I for sure would have looked at that glass and said, we'll just drink out of the other side. Right. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't have even dawned on me to ask for anything. And I'm not saying he did the right thing, but I'm just saying it just would not have even popped in my head of like, wow, this is an opportunity for negotiation. Mm -hmm. And I just think of all the times in our daily interactions, like think of meals I've had at a restaurant where Mm -hmm. I've gotten something and it's cold and Mm -hmm. I'm paying good money, but I'm like, oh, it would be awkward to send it back. And Mm -hmm. You know, whereas a lot of times a guy would be like, hey, my meal's cold. I want a hot meal. And so I think we just have to practice and realize that, you know, we we deserve the same thing that our male counterparts are getting. Yeah. And for my business, I kind of talked to you about this, but it has a lot to do with negotiating with brands because everyone kind of charges different prices for what I do whenever we do like sponsorships. And I remember when I first started, I would always just take the rate that the brand would put out and I would never negotiate it. And it's so funny because I was always scared of just coming off as like pushy or bossy, like those words that you said. Um, But then you realize that everyone else is negotiating these rates (laughs) and that it's okay to. And not even that it's okay to, but it's also just recognizing your worth. And I don't think either of us are talking about putting out crazy numbers or kind of asking for anything that's beyond what you should be asking. Um, But for me personally, it was really good to kind of train that muscle. And I think it just shows that you value your work and you know your work. Absolutely. And the other thing is that 
people know that women don't negotiate as much. And, mm. you know, so we are, we're basically getting ourselves into this circle of if we're not asking, mm. people aren't just going to offer it to us. And that was the other thing that I had to learn. Uh, the first two jobs I left, I was replaced by a guy who was paid significantly more than I was. Mm. And again, it, it was like I was mad, but it was also mm. a learning experience of, okay, well, just don't let that happen again, you know, yeah. make sure you you ask for more next time. Yeah. And then usually I do the Q&A from my viewers at the end, but all the questions are related to negotiating. So I'm just going to put them in this section. Um, but someone actually asked how to negotiate a raise at a job that you already have. I feel like we were talking about more like starting like your first salary. When do you think is a good point to ask for a raise? Great okay. question. That was a very broad question. <laughs> Obviously, it varies depending on the job that you have and like obviously your work, but. Right. So that would be the first thing of just know what the industry norms are. So, mm -hmm. you know, usually any sort of position you can get a good sense for, but, you know, do people usually get a raise after a year? If that's the case, then mm -hmm. don't go in after a month. But uh, some key points would be when you are taking on additional responsibilities mm -hmm. right after you've gotten done with a major project any time where you can really come into a conversation and say, I'm really excited to share with you what I've done. Mm. And I would recommend setting up a time to have that conversation, know yeah. who to talk to. Uh, oftentimes, some HR people don't have necessarily the authority to make that decision. Mm. So kind of know the ropes. But definitely open up that conversation. Start with sharing what you have brought to the company, what you have contributed. Do your research so you mm. know what is expected. Don't ask to double your salary. That usually yeah. doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. And just just be, you know, very confident, but also very nice about it of just mm. asking. And again, I think it's it's really important to know that people aren't going to just throw money at you. Uh, yeah. In my entire career, once I have gotten a bonus that I did not expect, that I didn't mm. have to ask for. Uh, and again, I think women, we work really hard. And I think we expect that people are going to recognize our hard work. And mm. that's not always the case. Yeah. Yeah. And so say that you are actually having to go out and ask. Someone asked how to negotiate without sounding entitled. Mm. And I think this kind of goes back to you talked about still being gracious whenever you're having these conversations what do you think are actual like tactics to not come off as you're asking for something beyond like your means? Right. And that's a great question. Mm -hmm. uh, a few things. I think, first of all, really focusing on the on how much you enjoy the place of employment, mm -hmm. really highlighting, like, wow, I've been able to learn these three specific tasks, mm -hmm. uh, or I just really enjoy the environment, just the collegiality of the coworkers. Really focus on like the things that the employer is doing for you that you yeah. really appreciate. That can kind of disarm any hesitancy mm -hmm. that your negotiating side will have. And then I just try to to be confident but not arrogant. And I think yeah. that is really the key of just to point out. Uh, I think if we kind of go in with a mindset that we're really great at what we do, but we're also replaceable, mm -hmm. uh, that has really helped me of just knowing that, yeah, I, I do good work, but there are also other people behind me who yeah. could probably do similar work. So it's just a, a bit of a balance of presenting yourself well uh, and really just waiting, kind of uh, just giving the opportunity mm -hmm. for the employer to respond. And another thing we talk about in negotiations is mm – -hmm. 
don't just always focus on salary, right? There's so many other parts of our job that you can ask for. Maybe it's a couple extra days of vacation time or in New York City, you know, that free subway card, that's, you know, 200 bucks a month. That could be really helpful. Mm -hmm. So think also of, you know, perhaps presenting a couple options to your employer because your employer, it's hard for them just to say no. Mm -hmm. I think we underestimate that. So if you can present a couple of options of, you know, I'd love to get a raise in this amount, maybe a one-time bonus or hey, that extra vacation would be great too. Yeah, yeah, I really agree with that. And then this is a personal question that I have, but as someone who has worked with a diverse range of clients because you did do a lot of international business, um, I feel like you've been exposed to exposed to a lot of different negotiation tactics. Um, what do you think are the best ways to negotiate, especially with someone who maybe is very different than your personality type? Mm-hmm. I think the best way for me, Mm -hmm. uh, I always use humor. When all else fails, Mm -hmm. I fall back on humor. And because I am an introvert, I tend to be just a little quieter in my demeanor. I'm Mm -hmm. not a super flashy person. And I just make sure that I know my facts going into a negotiation. I try to be really gracious to the other side, you know, engage Mm -hmm. them, try to figure out what is most important to them Mm -hmm. and then bridge the gap. I I go in with my points written down of what I'm interested in, in the conversation or the negotiation. And I think allowing people time to respond and Mm -hmm. trying to just really uh, not have any biases going into the conversation. But one thing that surprised me, I was negotiating a contract in the Netherlands and Mm -hmm. it ended up being successful. We got the contract And at the end, the guy said, you know, you're from New York, you're American. I really thought you were going to be arrogant and you weren't. And so that was a great lesson because I was like, huh, okay. I didn't intentionally like not come into this being arrogant, but a really good reminder to me of just, you know, treating people with respect Mm -hmm. and knowing that, you know, in a situation like that, we're really negotiating among equals and that Mm -hmm. uh, it's not to your advantage to come in of like, hey, I know everything. This is how it's going to happen. So again, just going back to what you said earlier, I think uh, speaking with grace, being gracious to people Mm -hmm. can go a long way. Yeah. And I love how you taught how to really write everything down. I always felt so silly writing down my opening line whenever I was negotiating. (laughs) I was like, do I really need to write this down on the top of my paper? But it is funny because you'll get in there and the nerves will kind of kick in. You'll forget everything that you had prepped. And so I think it is really important to write down, you know, what you want to get out of it. Maybe your different like plans, like how you said, have multiple options, write those down, how you want to start, things that might seem silly to write down. But the more that you write down, the more you're going to remember I I wrote down notes for today. Yeah, you did. (laughs) And it's helpful. It's just nice to see. And it really, I think, the more you're prepared and the more you practice, the easier it gets whenever you're doing it. And so I totally agree with that. But going back to the Q&A from the viewers, I got a question. I feel like we kind of already talked about this, but how do you think you should negotiate when maybe you're timid and also a people pleaser? (laughs) Which kind of goes on. You talked about how women may be more likely to have those tendencies. Not that we want to, you know, stereotype women, but what do you feel like is the best way to negotiate if maybe you are more timid? I think in that case, it really comes down to practicing. Mm -hmm. And if you are timid, you need to sit down with a friend or family member 
and do a role play mm-hmm. because you need to have the vocabulary. You need to know how you're going to phrase things. And unfortunately, when you're timid, the other side knows that. And mm-hmm. it's really easy to shut down a conversation. The worst thing that you can do if you're timid and you ask for a raise and somebody says, well, no, obviously we don't do that. You knew that is for you to say, oh, yes, I'm so sorry. (laughs) As women, we apologize for Mm. everything. And, you know, if you get a response that is not what you expected, you don't have to respond. Mm. Certainly don't say I'm sorry or I agree with you. You know, Mm. you can just simply sit and you know, just kind of stare at the person, make them feel a little uncomfortable as you think of Mm -hmm. an appropriate response. But yeah, if you are feeling any sort of hesitancy, just practice. Mm -hmm. And I still do this today. So it's something, nothing to be, you know, ashamed of. You really do need to just get familiar with how are you going to express yourself verbally? Yeah, I did that with my first job with Aiden, actually. (laughs) One of her, because I had had the interview, but then a lot of people ask when you actually ask for, you know, maybe like a different salary or different benefits. And usually I think that happens after you have your initial interview. It's not usually something right. you bring up right. <laughs> in the first interview. Um, but I had gotten a call and I kind of knew that was going to be the call where we would talk about that stuff. But I had had that conversation with him beforehand just to practice. And it really did help. And you feel kind of silly when you're doing oh, it. Right. Like, is this really <laughs> necessary? But it does help a lot. And I think that that kind of goes back to just making sure that you've practiced and it makes it a lot easier and a lot less scary, especially if you are someone who maybe is more timid and more of a people pleaser. But then the last kind of section I wanted to go into, I also took a legal studies class from Dr. Reeve and we talked a lot about having integrity in your career. And I listened to a lot of podcasts and quite honestly, I don't hear a lot of people talk about how integrity kind of plays a part in your career because especially working in New York City, there are a lot of temptations working here. And I think that there is this mindset that you really have to kind of be scrappy and it's okay to work hard, but there may be some not great paths to getting to the place that you want to be in. And I really thought that legal studies was a great class for that. And I feel like it really helped navigate my future career and kind of develop my framework. But The first question that I had is, why do you think it's important to maintain your integrity in your career, even when it may be difficult? And not that you have to share in depth, but were you challenged in your early career? Like, were there any moments where maybe you felt that temptation to kind of compromise your integrity to get at a place in your career? I think it's not an original thought, but Mm -hmm. the concept that you have one reputation, Mm -hmm. that is really, really true. And the other thing I always come back to is the world is a ridiculously small place. And I know, especially living and working in New York City, we're like, yeah, but there are like 8 million people who live here. Mm-hmm. And I I cannot tell you the number of times where a random contact has come back at me mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a way that I never anticipated. And so for me, it was having some of those experiences early on that I realized, wow, I really do have a reputation to build mm-hmm. and I need to make sure that I do everything with integrity. Mm-hmm. And a couple of times where I've struggled with that, I think oftentimes it's it's in the little things. Yeah. You know, I think very few of us would end up embezzling millions <laughs> yeah. of dollars, but 
you know, just it's super easy to think of like, oh, wow, those are really nice office supplies. Mm. I, I think I'll just stick a few more in my bag. Uh. Or, you know, the first time I had an expense account, you know, it's, mm. it's like, ha, huh, no one would really know where I went for dinner tonight. Mm. I could say I had a client meal. And, you know, I think just being aware that it's it's in the really little details that we have to have to be careful to. I think also, uh, getting into management consulting, there mm. definitely is a temptation to want to overpromise. Like you really just want mm. to sign the client because we get bonus on if you sign a client or not. Yeah, and I think you you often uh, overpromise, and and that was a really fine mm. line of, you know, again we talked in in class on our resumes, right? How yeah. do you put your best foot forward versus what's a flat out lie? Mm. And that can be a bit of a tension, but just really always erring on the side of caution and just making sure that everything you say and do, you can actually accomplish. And and just remembering that, you know, your job today as a Mm 22-year-old, chances are you're going to somehow intersect with somebody from that position 20 years from now. Yeah, it is so true that in New York, it is such a small world and you think it's so big, but it's amazing how many times you come into contact with like people that you met maybe two or three years ago. Right. And so I really like the emphasis on reputation. And it's not even that you're trying to maintain this really good reputation that might not even be true. I think it's more just being respectful to other people and wanting to like be a good employee and work with other people, not necessarily to like benefit yourself, but just to, like be nice to other people. And then also, how do you think you keep yourself grounded when our culture encourages <laughs> young people to be scrappy to become successful in their careers? And I think that kind of goes off the last question but it's so funny I use the word scrappy specifically because I felt like whenever I was getting a job so many people use that word like you just got to be scrappy mm-hmm. and I was thinking about it and I was like I don't really want to be scrappy like that is not the kind of yeah. word that I want to describe myself to be I want to be a hard worker and right. just be a good employee but I don't think that scrappy is the right word to use whenever you're trying to like get to the place you want to be. But yeah, how do you think you actually keep yourself grounded like in a practical sense? And I think it's going to be hard because you definitely are going to see people get ahead Mm. uh, who don't deserve to get ahead or that you don't feel deserve to get ahead. And you'll see people, you know, destroying relationships. You'll see people taking credit for stuff that they didn't really do. And if Mm -hmm. they're taking credit for something that you did, that can be really hard. And I mean, first of all, again, just be true to yourself. Uh, one thing that I do, we talked about in class too, is just surrounding yourself with wisdom. Mm-hmm. So who is your wise counsel? You know, mm-hmm. I know I can always talk to my husband. I have a couple of friends. I always, you know, you need to have friends that you can text at 3 a.m. and you know yeah. they're going to get back <laughs> to you. Uh, but when I would be in tough situations or not really knowing how to manage a situation, mm-hmm. just know who can you talk to because we're confronted mm-hmm. with really difficult decisions just about every day. Uh, mm-hmm. So first of all, just be true to yourself. Don't do anything that compromises your values. Mm-hmm. The end does not justify the means. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, one thing that has really stuck with me over the years when I've been in difficult positions is just the Bible verse that comes from uh, the story of Hagar, mm. that God sees all things. And I mm. remember not that long ago of being in the subway and I'm like, God, I know you see this. <laughs> I know you're, you know, I don't get what's going mm. on, but I know that you see it, that you're in the situation. Mm. And there have for sure been a bunch of times where I've just had to give it up to God and say, 
I don't understand what's going on. It's not mm. fair. It's not right. And I want mm. justice, but you know, the, it's not justice for me to give in this situation. Uh, and at the end of the day, just being able to walk away, knowing that I personally did the right thing. Mm. I still have my reputation mm. and, and my integrity. And yeah, maybe that cost me a little bit of money. Mm. Uh, maybe it cost me a job, but uh, you know, God has bigger plans for you. Yeah. And you talked about how it's important to surround yourself with good people. I'd be interesting to hear, because I even remember you mentioned this in a class, how for men, it's very easy to find career mentors. And there are like all these events for specifically right. men, <laughs> at least in New York City. As like a woman, how did you find people who could kind of speak into your career personally as like a mentor um, rather than a friend, even though mm -hmm. mentors can be friends? But was there a way that you went about kind of finding those people? I did. And this, this took me a while, so mm -hmm. I didn't do it right away. I yeah. had to learn how to do it. But I would look for people who are really good at doing something I wasn't that great at. Mm -hmm. The first person I really asked if I she could be a mentor for me was somebody who was exceptional at delegating. Okay. And I was in my first role uh, managing a department of 12. And I was like, oh, my gosh, oh, wow. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And I, she was gracious. She's still a great friend today and was really gracious in helping me think through, like, how do you delegate and how mm -hmm. do you, you know, I'm a very, I like everything done my way. And it was really hard to learn mm -hmm. how to do that. Another time, um, I'm a very linear thinker, um, not the most creative out of the box thinker. And one of my coworkers is an artist and just an amazing person. And, and I would get so frustrated talking to her because she would always tell these long, engaged stories. And I'm like, okay, what's the point? Let's get to the <laughs> point. And, but I learned that she was able to convey information in a way that was really different from how I traditionally do it. So I, I asked her, like, can you teach me how to do that mm -hmm. more? And she was really helpful. And just even things like I, I love doing crafts and I, I make like to make cards. Mm -hmm. And the way I make cards, I get rectangle cards and, you know, put something right in exactly in the middle <laughs> and then, you know, scatter a few things around the outside. And, and so my friend came in one day and she's like, here, I brought you some cards. And they Aww. were circle cards. <laughs> and I had no idea what to do with them. But mm -hmm. just even that silly exercise of... Like, how do you make something beautiful out of a circle when you're yeah. used to working with rectangles was yeah. just really helpful in, in helping me push my boundaries on creativity. Yeah. And I wanted to ask that because I kind of mentioned this to you, but the point of this podcast is really looking up to mentors. Mm -hmm. And because I felt like whenever I was in um, just like college and kind of graduating, it's very hard to find people to look up to and especially harder in New York City, I think, when we have this mindset that everyone is really kind of an individual and you only really feel like you have yourself to like right. navigate your own path. And so I just wanted to encourage the people who were listening that there are so many people out there who are willing to help and would love to help. And it's worth it to pursue those relationships. Those are all the questions that I have today. I'm so excited for everyone to hear this podcast though, because again, these are things that I feel like I've talked a lot about in my videos and I'm just really excited for everyone to hear the wisdom from the source itself. So that is it for this episode. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. If you did, make sure to leave me a review. I love reading the reviews and I'm just so thankful that people actually listen and 
you know, think to write something positive. It just means a lot to me. So definitely feel free to reach out if you enjoyed. And I just hope you guys enjoyed it. Let me know if you like interview-based podcasts, if you like more solo podcasts, what you're feeling. I really appreciate input from you guys and I'm just grateful that there are people listening. So definitely let me know and I will talk to you guys soon in my next episode. Bye friends. Oh, 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 o